Hey, this is Kyle Turner, the lead pastor of Hillsong, Kansas City. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you, encourages you, and most importantly, helps you get closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Everyone well? Just say hi to everyone online. If I forget to mention you, whilst I'm doing my message, I still love you. No judgment on me and all of those sorts of things. My disclaimer is this is the third Sunday in what is now 17 months that I've actually been in a room that's got people in it. So in the you, you guys think COVID has locked everything down in your country, man. We've been locked in our houses for 16 months. We're just... So if I, if I start twitching, um, you just need to uh, realise it's, uh, it's justified. But anyway. Okay, so about now you're thinking, how long is this guy going to keep us standing? So come on, let's, uh, let's pray, yeah? Father, we thank You for who You are. Everything You do and everything You've done. We thank You that You, you sent the Holy Spirit take Holy Spirit you take everything that the Father is everything that Jesus accomplished and everything about him and you weave it into the context of our personal lives and you you use the word to help us with that and we pray you do your thing today in Jesus name amen amen why don't you grab a seat thanks to the worship team I knew there was something about you when I met you you can sing Everybody well? It's been a tough little time, hasn't it? And I think if you sit there and you're thinking, well, what's been tough? Well, I'd probably first like to say where you've been. And, uh, and if it's not been tough, all power to you because you're remarkable. But um, this has just been the interesting days that we, uh, that we find ourselves in. And uh, just get myself organised here. And if you're waiting for me to get sort of animated and all that, I'm already there. <laughs> so, uh, so there we are. It's good. I find I got someone who gets it. It's not very often. Not very often. My my humour does not do well. Well, really, anywhere when it's all said and done. <laughs> So if you're waiting for me to get funny, I've arrived at that as well. Um, but anyway, here we are. All right, so what I want to do is I just want something, I guess this is something that's on my heart. Um, at the same time, I feel like there's a challenge in it. My disclaimer as I get into the, into the message is um, it's probably a little bit more observational a little bit more question orientated than it is, let me give you three points to the ultimate success of holding, handling life during COVID, all right? Um, so um, so it's, just, it's just looking at some things and maybe posing, posing some, um, some questions. Am I standing in the wrong spot? Uh, okay. Um, okay, so if you've got a Bible, why don't you, um, you open it by the looks of things, uh, have we got a screen? Someone got ahead of me. I'm, that's fantastic. 
because I'm not the guy that has scriptures for the screen because I'm not 100% sure which scriptures I'm going to use, which ones I'm going to refer to. I discovered at the, at the age of 50, about 58, that I had dyslexia. And that sort of explained a lot about life to me. So now as I, I sort of look at the words on the Bible as they start moving around, swapping places, I go, that's an interesting way that words work on a page. No one told me it was a problem. I just thought that was life and everyone had to work out how to deal with it. But anyway, so a lot of discoveries later in life as you, as you get, get, get through with it. So, um, so let's, let's go Matthew chapter 9. Let me, let's start there. And um, it says here, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow with me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, here's just a few observational questions. Do you not think that's odd? Because you've got this guy, Matthew, sitting, sitting in his workplace. This guy, Jesus, comes along and says, hey, come follow me. And Matthew goes, oh, okay. And it's like there's no more, there's no more qualification to background to did he know anything about Jesus or anything like that? To me, it's a bit of a random, random thing that just takes place. Obviously, Matthew must have known something about Jesus. And I tend to think he was probably a little bit and he left a bit out because what's interesting, I'm reading out of Matthew about Matthew. So Matthew's writing about himself. And what he's writing about is his encounter with Jesus that ultimately turns into a life transforming encounter where he's just not the same person again. And I tend to think Matthew was probably there going, who me? Really? Why would you choose me? But anyway, I know about you. And because I've heard about you and I've heard the stories probably, because there's a fair bit had taken place prior to Matthew 9. I'm not sure the chronological order of of the exact timing of when Jesus said, come follow me and, and all of that. But as you link it all together, there's a story. It's the story of Jesus pulling some people together and a whole lot of other things, obviously. So it's like this sense of, oh, wow. Yep. Okay. He called me. He called me. And hopefully most of us are in that, that place where we go, what? You, you called me. You, you come to me. Um, and, um, and so he, and then what it says, it says, it says, so later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Right? And then he goes on, he says, along with many other tax collectors and disreputable sinners, which is, then he, verse 11, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, it sounds like Instagram was around back then. Because... <laughs> You're sort of allowed to say whatever you like about anybody at any time. And um, so these Pharisees were quite up for labelling people, dehumanising people, de- depersonalising people. And, um, and so they, they, were, they were playing out their, their bit. And then verse 12 says, When Jesus heard this, He said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. And then He added, Now go learn the meaning of this Scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are 
sinners. Now, there's there's a whole lot in this um, in the in this this passage, and and there's a whole lot of questions that 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 come out of it. But I guess the first one, which is most important, because I think if you think about Matthew, you think about the others that perhaps were in this room that met him for the first time. There was something that was profoundly important and that was Jesus was revealing something to them. He was, um, and, and what He was revealing to them was life-changing, was life, life transformational, right? And so I guess the, the, the question might be, is, is when we, we look at Jesus and perhaps if we just back up and go, okay, when we think about God. So when we think about God, you know, what's your, what's your mental picture of Him? Um, who, who, is, who is He? What's He like? Um, how do we know what He's like? How do we know how God behaves? How do we know what God's got to say? Where do I reference myself? And maybe the question I'd ask you is where do you reference yourself in going, I'm going to paint a picture, a picture of God, right? And so, you know, for example, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that he is the expressed image of God, Jesus. Um, he is the, another version will go, he's the expressed character of God. In other words, everything that you see and know or is to be seen or to be known or to be said about God is found in Jesus. Um, Colossians chapter, chapter one, let's pick it up in, in maybe verse, verse 15. It says, Christ is the, the visible image of the invisible God. He existed, this is New Living Translation that I'm, um, I'm, I'm reading from. So if it, and he says, um, he's the supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms on earth. Um, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in, in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. And Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. And he just gets going on and just starts talking about the, the, the whom Jesus is. Now, I guess if I just go from the back up from where I started, just I like that thought where he's the one that holds everything together. He holds the whole world together. He holds, um, holds the universe together. They, um, you know, I was just doing some reading just recently and just talking about um, right down to what, what holds the planets in line? How does that all work? And it's the whole thing, I mean, a bit of light reading, but um, and um, it comes down to this, this thing that you can't quite explain it, but we know there's something there, holds it all together. So right down to you break down the most basic of your cells and we get down to atoms and how that all works. If you, this is not a high school lecture, I'm just find it random, but um, they still don't know what holds it holds that all together, it just holds together. So he holds everything together. And it says that he, he is also the, the head of the church and he holds the church together. Right? And I, I look at that and I go, in this tough times and, um, you know, 
tough times have been different for everybody, but if he can hold the universe together, if he can hold all creation together, he can hold his church together and says he does hold it together. And if he can hold his church together, he can hold me together. He can hold you together. And, um, and I just want to encourage you in this, in this time, I think if there's anything that is becoming really important is, our, is, is the, to whom he is and our, that, um, our faith that we put in him. Faith is just, just being deliberately, deliberately placing your confidence in a, in a God that you don't, may not fully understand at the time, but you deliberately put your faith in Him. The end result of that faith in Him is, is a life transforming encounter with Him. And it's a transformational counter, encounter that there's a promise with. And the promise is that He will complete it. Now, the interesting thing is for all of us in the room here, it's a transformational encounter. And if I was to sit there and start to just single out every single person in the room, somewhere on the journey toward completion and encounter, everybody is, but nobody's at the same place at the same time. Nobody's dealing with the same issue all at the same time. And sometimes if we're not careful, we think everyone needs to fit into our line of transformation according to, and you're not where you should be, why? Well, because I am. That doesn't mean you should be because you might be somewhere where I'm not. God might be doing something in your life that He's not doing in my life yet, or He may have done something in my life that He hasn't done in your life. But all I have to do is acknowledge that we're all on this transformational journey when we encounter Him. So He can hold us all together and He can get us through. And we've got to put out deliberately put our, our faith in Him, right? Now, coming back to this, um, where we're where we go, going with that. Who is Jesus? Um, visible image, the invisible God. How do I know how God thinks? Well, I could, I could read a whole lot of things. What's the most, the best place to go to find out God's approach on things? Jesus. How, how is God... How would God speak to me? How would He speak to me? Well, I just sit here and whatever my prayer time is and just need to hear the voice of God. How do I know it's the voice of God? Does it sound like Jesus? Because if it sounds like Jesus, it's probably the voice of God. If it doesn't sound like Jesus, it just may not be the, the voice of God. How, how would God treat me? Because sometimes we, we look at Jesus as an example of how we should treat other people. But we should also, I think, look at Him as a way, this is how God would deal with me. This is what, this is what God's got to say to, to me. Jesus is what God has got to say to us. He is the accurate representation of God that we've got to anchor our mental picture of who He is. You're tracking with me? Right? Now, I promise you I'm going somewhere. Um, as I said, it's more observations and, and, th- and that, that type of thing. But you know, your mental picture of God is, is, um, is re- really important because how you, you know, is, is, for example, is, is, God, is God a punishing God? Is He a punisher? Is He, is he loving God? Which, which one is He? Uh, oh, he's the loving God that punishes. I don't know, whatever. I'm not, but, but how we see him and what our mental image of him in 
determine, actually determines the quality of our relationship with Him. You know, to the, our, the level of our transformation that He brings about in our lives won't outstrip the mental image that we have of Him. So how we see Him is really, really, really important. And, and, and I think if you, as a passage of Scripture I read, I think the, the thing that took the Pharisees by surprise was he was just not, he was nothing that they were expecting. Although if you read through the Bible, he was revealing, well, I'm, I am what you're expecting. I just didn't come dressed how you thought I was gonna come dressed. And, and so there, there's this real challenge. And I was just reading just recently, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a new logical fact, you know, once again, how much fact is fact. Um, but but I, f- I found it rather interesting, especially in, in the light of today's world, right? So it's an illogical fact that people that have a, lo- have a loving mental picture of God, right? Loving mental picture of God. Right? That, so that's, that's really important, right? A loving mental picture of God. Have a greater capacity to think objectively about controversial matters and make rational decisions than those who don't. Now, if you think of where we get into now this, this, this passage of Scripture here, right? Just, so just hold those, those thoughts. Somewhere the thoughts that hopefully I've prompted you to start thinking will weave into this because I don't have six hours to preach this message and you won't last six hours, I promise you, right? So, all right? And so, so let's just get into this, this passage, of, passage of Scripture. So there's a couple of things that... Um, that Jesus, Jesus just makes this comment where he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Um, so another question, observation. So sometimes we just read over that, sometimes because we don't get it, sometimes because we just read over it, we're headed to somewhere else. Right? Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people, sick people do. So ask, ask you a question because remember the Pharisees are getting a little bit antsy with Jesus because there's disreputable sinners and scum in the room, all right? So they, so they didn't, those people didn't fit into the circle of acceptance that the Pharisees had. It, they, there was an exclusion factor that was, was, was dynamic that's playing out here. And so just a question, how do you see sin? Is, is sin a crime? Is sin a crime that needs punishment? Or is sin a condition that needs healing? Restoration, redemption, salvation—all of the, all of the Bible words—is sin something that needs the active work of God within us to put things right, make things right, realign us? Which one? Which one? Which one is it? And then Jesus goes on and he says, he says, now. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. Show mercy, not offer sacrifice. What were sacrifices? Sacrifices related to people's piety of this is, this is who I am. This is how I do things. I do all the right things to present myself the, the right way. And it's all about me. It's a, it's a somewhat self-focused approach to things. Whereas Jesus said, he said, I want you to show, 
He says, what does it mean? Show mercy. Mercy, when you show mercy, it's when you're actually, it's, it's compassion in action towards somebody else that is probably not like you, maybe someone that you would exclude from your circle of acceptance. If you go to you know, these disciples that have been pulled together here, probably were around in this, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which was Jesus' answer to a question by an expert in the law trying to justify himself on who was my circle of who gets in and who can be left out. Right? A user's compassion go and look, you know, who was the one that was the compassion? Go and do likewise. Compassion, mercy in action. It's an outward focused thing. It's an outward focus, especially an outward focus to those that I would not normally include. Right? So he, he sort of just, he just throws these bombs in, in this, um, in this passage of Scripture. And then he, at the end of it, he says, for I've not come to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Those who know they are sinners. Um, what, what, is, what potentially can that mean for us? In other words, I, I, th- I read it like this. Those who have a humility that say, I need God. I know, I know, I know if I'm honest with myself, there are things that are just not, not right within. I know if I'm honest with myself, there's, there's, there's things that are just not right in the world I live in and I'm humble enough to admit that and acknowledge that I need to put my faith in someone who can do something about that, right? And so the bit here, the one word just want to maybe focus on, he says, I've come not to call, right? to call. Um, I don't know about you, but it's easy to read over that. What, what difference, what does that make? Um, if you're like me, it moves around the page a little bit, so it comes up a lot. Um, but um, I've, I've come to call, call. That, that term was a term that, that was used from, from my understanding. It was a term that was used that if you were to put out a call to assemble a fighting force, um, that you are going to assemble them. There's a fight that you're going to engage. You would put out this call. You'd use that word. So if we were back in this context, if I was going to say, I'm calling you, it's saying, hey, I am calling you together because we're gonna, we've got a fight to fight. There is something that needs to be established. There's something that needs to be done. There's something that needs to be confronted. And I'm calling you to be a part of that group of people. That's, what he's, that's how that word would have been used. And I can't help but think in the world that we live in right now, that outside the doors of our church, outside the doors of our own homes, the lives of, lives of people, this is a very disrupting time, especially for our safe, pretty little Western culture. And it is, there is a huge disruption taking place in society that there's somehow there's got to be an answer. And I think the answer is a little bit different to the answer that the world, world meaning the system of man versus the way of God. If there's ever been a time, and certainly in my lifetime, where it's like maybe the church has got something the world needs, all right? I think it's now. 
right? So Jesus is pulling something together, right? So then if the same thing, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, in Matthew chapter 16, Peter gets asked a question from Jesus. And Jesus says, so, so Peter, who do people say that I am? And, uh, and so Peter gives his answer, people say you're this. And then, then Jesus asks another question, but who do you say I am? Which is the most, one of the most important things. Who do we say Jesus is? How do I see Jesus? Right? So, so Peter gets asked this question. He gives an answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then we've got Jesus' response to his answer. And his answer was, blessed are you, changes his name. For flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father is in heaven. Here is this, from what I understand, in the, in the Gospels, this first account where something, where a personal revelation revealed of the Spirit that resonates within the heart and the mind of man about whom Jesus is, right? Then from that, he says, he says, well, you're blessed. And he said, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church, church, you know, let me, in a, if I was, you know, maybe doing, doing a message, and I thought, I'm losing you a lot. I need to impress you. So the Greek word, so I need to, got to throw in a Greek meaning here or there because now you'll think, oh, he does read his Bible and Greek every now and again. Um, so it's like, so the Greek, Ecclesia, and we'll go, oh yeah, Ecclesia, and go, that's, that's, that's the Greek word for church, the gathering of the called out people, called out of something, for something. But it was a secular term. It wasn't a Bible word. So Jesus used a, Bible, a secular word in, a, in the context of, I am gathering together a group of people for a purpose. Right? Now, ultimately, we know the purpose is, is, to, is to reveal Christ. The, the ascended, the resurrected, ascend, resurrected, ascended, Holy Spirit sent. Our role of the church is, is first and foremost that we might reveal Christ to the world in which we live in, right? So that once again, this sense of this gathering, this calling for something. Right now, here's the, here's, here's the bit that I want to try and focus on, or maybe this is my message now. As I said, I can't remember how many points, just a few observations and a few questions, right? Um, this group of people, there was, it was Matthew's house. Matthew was a tax collector. Now, tax collector back then was, they probably had a worse reputation than they do now, right? But he was, he was a tax collector. What did a tax collector represent? He, he was seen as by other people as a collaborator with an occupying force. So the Romans were the occupiers, the tax collectors were part of the occupying burden on the people was the high taxation and the way taxation worked. So Matthew himself was someone that would have been seen as a collaborator with the enemy. So that's probably why Matthew was surprised when a Jewish rabbi teacher said, hey, come follow me. Hey, dude, I thought you hated me. I thought I, I thought I was disqualified, so that probably where some of them, I think if it would be in a, a surprise for Matthew is like, whoa, I've heard about him. You want him, and he he accepts me. 
He's, he's including me. He's drawing me in. So, so you've got Matthew and it says, there was Matthew and his other tax collector friends were in this room. Then you think about who else may have been in the room. I can't say they absolutely were, but it says Matthew invited Jesus, some of the disciples, the other Jesus people that had already said, hey, come follow me. And they go, oh, okay, if I come, right? And so, and Matthew's friends. Now, if you want, if you're now heading for conflict in one room, it's there, All right? So some of the people were there. There was a guy called Simon was there. His, his name was Simon the Zealot. Well, what, what were Zealots about? Well, they were, they were actually the people who behind the scenes were trying to organise themselves to actually fight the Roman forces. So you've got now, you've got Matthew, a collaborator with Simon. Actually, I just want to, I just want to smack you out. Um, I mean, you've got, you've got room for conflict here. Then, then you add, you know, was Mary there then? If Mary was there then, um, she had X amount of demons cast out of her. She would have been traumatised, most likely crazy. In some sense, something would have been odd and they would have walked in and gone, oh my God, who invited her? How'd she get in the room? We've heard about her. So in fact, we've been, we've been absolutely horrid to her. We have mistreated her. Who knows what could have played out? Because the thing that I think is fascinating about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Old Testament mostly is about the, the struggle of man and the redemptive qualities of God. And the New Testament's all about the guy who actually redeems us. And, and so we don't get the backstory of the people, but I would suggest there's lots of backstory to these people. Um, who else was there? there was probably, the sons of Zebedee were probably there. Who were the sons of Zebedee? They were the sons of the ultimate soccer mum. Right. No offence to any, anyone in the room who's a soccer mum, but my son used to play... It's just about we call it football on the other side of the world. But anyway, we, and um, he, I've, I've, I've watched soccer mums in action. And uh, I've watched soccer dads in action. When I used to go watch my son play football, I was a silent participator on the side uh, because I just thought I'm just not entering the fight. But, um, but, but so why am I saying that? Because she was the mother that come to Jesus and said, so when, when, you know, in your glory days, Jesus, you know, your times of power and great influence and prestige, can you put one of my sons to your right? One of my sons to the left? So th- these guys with Zebedee was a businessman. So here you've got sons of Zebedee, which were probably the most, well, let's call them entitled, probably privileged, most likely arrogant with a mum like that. And obviously the father helped out. Um, Now you think of the room, just the room dynamics here. Because I think if we're not careful, we have a picture that Jesus went, I'm just gonna walk around and find some perfect people. I'm gonna pick, oh you, you're perfect. Nothing wrong with you. Everything is wonderful. Come on, you're going to be one of my group. You're perfect as well. You're perfect. Oh, you're fantastic. 
There's going to be no problem. You, I am going to call you together as the, oh, well, you know, team cohesion is just going to be awesome because, because you're just such perfect people. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that at all. Could you imagine how much, imagine if cancel culture had got going then? And all of those, if the, the, the othering and all of that, imagine what would have been, could have taken place. And, and can I say this? Most likely did. Because we find out that the sons of Zebedee were actually arguing about which one of them was going to be the fam- most famous. So, so there was a bit of work to be done. Did you get the point that I'm trying to make? Right? Now here's the, here's, the, here's the most amazing thing. To the same group of people, and who else was a part of the group? And you know, one day I'll read about who some of the others were and their backgrounds. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter, no, John chapter 13, verses um, 34 to 35. He says, a new command I give you, right? So this is a new command. It's not, uh, it's not an add-on. It's like, not like, let me add something to. He said, let me give you a new. Now, as far as the way my mind works, new is new. So if I'm gonna get a new car, it's not a bit of the old car that's just been polished. It's a new car, right? It's, it's new. And so Jesus says, let me give you a new command. And that is that you that you'd love one another. And by this, everyone will know you're my disciples, yeah? But it's not true. I, did, I left a few key words out. He said, by this... Let me give you a new command that you love one another how I have loved you. So almost, I wonder, question is, is Jesus' actions towards the disciples and the way He treated this group of very different people from very different backgrounds, is maybe the way He treated them, the new definition, or maybe bringing in clarity to the definition of love. Not just using the word love, but let me actually tell you what this love looks like. It's the way I treated you. That's this love. And then he says, and by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Now here's, here's the, are you getting the challenge in this? You get, there's, to, to me, I read that and I go, wow. He's going to mould this group of people into something, into a fighting force. And he's going to mould this group of people for an expressed purpose. And he worked them together in such a way that he said to them that, that what you will be known for is what you learnt from me in the way that I treated you. And that was going to be the thing that this fighting force was going to be marked by. Now, I've, to me, I find that fascinating, both fascinating and challenging. Um, you, John chapter 17, just, this is just before Jesus' arrest, before He gets beaten, before He gets crucified and, and all of that. John chapter 17 is about Jesus and His moment with God praying, for the Father, I should say, praying about this this unity, this coming together, this binding together, this, this thing that he'd been working on with the disciples. I pray 
that the, things like, I pray that they might be as one as I am with you. I pray. And his, his prayer was all about this group of people that he had moulded together for something. Right? Fascinating. I, I, and, um, and then if I take to maybe take it, you know, an, another, another step forward and you end up towards the end of um, chapter nine, we'll finish, we'll finish on that. So I beat the worship team. It's the first in all my life. Because normally what the worship team does, you know, when the guy's speaking, the worship team comes up and starts playing, or the girl's speaking. To the speaker, it means get off now. <laughs> get off now, get off now. So you start playing your get off music, all right? And I'll be, uh, and I'll be, I'll be finishing whilst you play your get off music, all right? So let, let, let's come back. Let's just get serious here, right? So he's taken this group of people that were completely at odds with each other. He's moulding them together that would ultimately be the people that become the, what we call the, the pioneers of this new way of life. This, this new thing that was, when Jesus died on the cross, the old died and the new, the new was on its way. They, they, this new thing. And he said all sorts of things to him. And I think if you read some of the things he said in the context of him pulling together, you know, all of the things, the confrontations that he had with the, with the religious thinking and all of that, it's all got to do with a group of people that he was, he was going to go, hey, I'm, see, I'm ascending into heaven. And I'm going to empower you people to take everything that I'm about into the world we live in. And so he's, so he's you sit there and go, okay, he's pulling together for a purpose. Now, I know if you're a scholar, I know there's a lot more you could add to what I'm about to say. But as I said, I don't have six hours. So, um, but let's go one of the, one of the, one of the things, or maybe, maybe it's, it's the thing and everything else spins out from it. But um, he, he, as you read on, because you've got, you got to remember that this is a narrative. This is um, how long did this all play out for? I, don't, I have no idea, but there's a whole lot took place until we get to the end of chapter nine. In chapter nine, he grabs the disciples and he says, hey, can you see? Look at this. The harvest is white, but the laborers are few. Harvest is white. Outside the doors of our church, out the window of our work office, outside the, you know, our homes. Harvest is white. What's the harvest is white mean? There, there, are, there are people ready for what I'm about. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here. Not me, Gary, but what, what Jesus is saying. The harvest is white. Then he says, but the labourers are few. Then he makes this statement where he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest for, for, for workers. And now sometimes we'll read that and go, okay, we've got to pray for labourers. Look, the harvest is white. Let's pray for labourers. But, but it was a, I don't know what the right word to, to use to, 
Is it a statement? It's a question that He's posing to them. It's a reference point that, they, that He's referring to. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Isaiah 6, verse 8 is a story really of, of Isaiah's, first of all, his encounter, and then he's somewhat commissioning, and then Isaiah becomes Isaiah. And it says that he, it says that he, he goes, Whoa, I'm an un, a man of unclean lips, which here's this revelation of everything in me is, I don't know, it's just not right. It's just not right. There's a little bit of tension within me. It says that there's, then, there's, then there's this hot, hot coal that is placed on his lips. Maybe that has got to do with the fact that now, hey, I've, I've encountered him. I've had this encounter. And this is, this is, this is somewhat life-changing encounter, right? The same life, do you get, right? And then, and then it says this, it says he, he heard this voice and the voice said, who will I send? Who will I send? And so now, you've, obviously, if you've read through Isaiah and you, you realise there's this sense of there's a whole lot come out of what Isaiah wrote and what he's about and all of that. Who will I send? Which is almost like, Isaiah, are you, pre- be, are you prepared to be something? I'm not sure Isaiah knew that the rest of all of those chapters was going to come via his pen or whatever. It was just, come on, are you ready for something? Are you, who will I send? There was no, who, who will I, and here's the outcome. There was no, and, and send means this. And, and this is the benefits gonna come your way. This is the hardship that's gonna come your way. This is the difficult, oh, this is the blessings. There was no qualification. There was no insights. It was just a voice that come from heaven and said, who will I send? And, and, and I think Jesus is evoking this in, in these, this group of people that He's assembling. Who am I gonna send? No caveat, no get out of jail um, clause or anything like that. Just a question, a question to the human heart. And then Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Here, just, his response was, here I am, Lord, send me. And I just wonder, you know, I know this is a, really a message about us and about church and, um, and, and all of that. But I just wonder, there is a world outside that if God's doing a new thing, he's, what is it? And if He's gonna do a new thing, are we gonna watch Him do a new thing? Or are we gonna participate in a new thing? Um, is it... Is it something we're waiting for someone else to discover? Are we waiting to see the benefits of it or the cost? I don't know, I don't know, but I don't know about you, but I I do believe there's something shifted in the world and there is something that is shifting in the church and the revelation of Jesus and the bringing the the Gospel to people in, in a way that is gonna be, hey, well, I know I know they're my disciples. Why? Because they love each other like Jesus loved them. Not they just love each other, but like Jesus loved them. And I just think the world desperately needs us to say, hey, here I am, Lord, send me. Amen. Amen. So can I, can I pray for you? And um, 
if, um, you know, I don't know your name, but maybe just if you, Betty or Kyle, or I don't know why I'm talking about Kyle, but just your name was mentioned, who will I send? What would your response be if you heard that? If that was from heaven, you know, Jesus saying to you, hey, the harvesters, if Jesus is in the room right now and said, hey, Dan, harvesters, why? Are you happy to go into it? Hey, June, are you happy to go into it? Would you? What would you say if you heard your name? And I believe He would use your name if He was here. And I believe that's, I believe there's a sense of, come on, church. There's something that God is going to require of us because there's a world that needs Him revealed to them in Jesus. Would you say, here I am, Lord, send me? Simple question. And if it is, then I want to pray for you. I just want to pray. I want to pray that, um, so we're just, just where you're at right now and just, just in your own heart, Lord, use me. I don't know what that means. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just saying to you, Lord, have your way. Use me. Use us. Father, every single person, I pray that as we say, here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, I pray that you mark them. I pray, Lord, that you, that you, you grace them for this time. You grace them for the t- this time that we're in. That the remarkable things of God are gonna be revealed through the, what people would say, unremarkable people. But because Lord, you're working and because you're working in them, there'll be remarkable things. Use us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' Name. Amen.